County commissioners are offering up their priorities to state lawmakers, and the Postal Service doesn't know why nearly 300 mail-in ballots arrived late at a mid-state elections office for last November's election. Welcome to the Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Thursday, January 25th, and this is being recorded at 921 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories. County commissioners are giving lawmakers their wish list for the coming year. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports they're calling for a host of reforms and funding on several key issues. Some priorities include funding for 911 and mental health treatment, broadband access, and vote-by-mail reforms. Michael Rivera of Berks County says these changes will help counties better provide for its residents. These priorities reflect, reflect our ongoing commitment to providing exceptional services while using taxpayer dollars in the most effective and efficient way possible. We believe these 2024 priorities reflect county needs that are essential for us to continue successfully providing critical services to Pennsylvania residents. Commissioners are also asking the legislature to look into the overcrowded and understaffed juvenile detention centers in the state. Legislation proposed by Senators John Fetterman and Bob Casey seeks to help address discrimination on college campuses. Batul Tunser is with our partner WESA in Pittsburgh and has the details. The Protecting Students on Campus Act aims to ensure students know how to report alleged civil rights violations. The law would require federally funded colleges to provide materials from the Office of Civil Rights on their website. Robert McCaw, director of the Government Affairs Department at the Council on American-Islamic Relations, said the proposed legislation is a positive step, but worries about the potential implications it might have on Muslim and Arab students on campus. I think it's crucial to recognize that religion is not a protected characteristic. So how this uh, law could take effect, it could potentially favor some classes of students over others. So we would hope it would be equitably implemented. The legislation comes amidst a recent rise in anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and anti-Arab sentiment across college campuses and nationally since the war between Hamas and Israel started October 7th. A Pennsylvania college is taking some steps to enroll more students from its home community. Sarah Sinto is with our friends at WVIA in Scranton, and she reports some Lycoming County High School students can now be automatically accepted at Lycoming College in Williamsport. Chip Hinton, Associate Vice President of Enrollment Management, says high school students have become hesitant about the college application process. And so we thought it would be a great idea to offer, especially to Lycoming County, right in our own backyard, the opportunity to have their students uh, who are have at least a 3.0 grade point average, uh, be able to gain direct admission to uh, Lycoming College. Lycoming is a private college, and tuition for the 2023-2024 academic year is listed as more than $46,000 per year. Executive Vice President Chip Edmonds hopes guaranteed admission will help the college stand out. We find that we have do have the capacity to deliver a very high-quality undergraduate education at really uh, not a dramatically different cost from what many of our, our, our public peers provide. Hinton says there are plans for instant decision days with high schools around the country. While the snowy weather that hit central Pennsylvania last week left many grebes, a type of water bird, making emergency landings. The problem is these birds need a body of water to take off again, so many were left stranded. And Danahy, with our partner WPSU and State College reports, that's when a team of wildlife experts and volunteers responded to Grebageddon. 
Robin Grabowski is the director of Center Wildlife Care. She says when stormy weather hits, birds migrating at night might think a parking lot or road is a body of water and land in it. When it comes to grebes, she says they're designed to dive and swim underwater. They cannot stand on land and they can't walk on land and they can't take off flying on land. So when they uh, get grounded, they really are a sitting duck. Regardless, Center Wildlife's phone started ringing when at least 20 of the birds landed during a recent snowstorm. Our volunteers called it Grebageddon because we've never gotten that many grebes at one time. In the past, they've seen them in rainstorms. This is unprecedented that we got grebes with snow. And they were literally everywhere in fields and people's yards. And that's when volunteers, along with veterinarians and center wildlife, were able to collect the grebes and release most of them back into large bodies of water. And Nick Sirianni will return for a fourth season as coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. He says he didn't have to sell the front office on bringing him back, despite the team's late-season collapse. Sirianni did decide to fire both his offensive and defensive coordinators. He and Eagles GM Howie Roseman were both light on specifics on preferred candidates and a timetable for hiring new coaches. Roseman says the coach will call the shots on the new hires. As always, when I get in the office at ODARK30, I go through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania looking for stories to pass along to you on the morning agenda. I have two, and they both come from our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online. Here's the first one. A Postal Service investigation has turned up no information about why 268 mail-in ballots took almost two weeks to arrive at the Lancaster County Elections Office after the November 7th general election deadline. All of the votes on those ballots were uncounted as a result of their late arrival. Now, LNP Lancaster Online reports the Postal Service told county leaders last week it would conduct an in-depth review of the processing and delivery for mail-in ballots moving forward. In public statements, the USPS acknowledged a problem with mail-in ballots occurred in the county last fall, but offered no additional information. The count of 268 delayed mail-in ballots updates a previous total given by the county last month. And the state attorney general's office is suing a Lancaster County farmer to get him to stop selling raw milk and other unregulated products, claiming he's endangering public health. According to LNP Lancaster Online, the suit accuses Amos Miller of Upper Laycock Township and the businesses he operates of violating several state laws aimed at food safety. The move follows a January 4th search of the farm after the State Department of Agriculture said it was notified of tests linking his products to E. coli infections in New York and another in Michigan. Miller's attorney, Robert Barnes, calls the lawsuit a disgrace to the rule of law and a flagrant violation of constitutional liberty. So let's take some time now to revisit a story that was big news in the early part of 2023. It has been nearly a year, believe it or not, since a Norfolk Southern train derailed near the Pennsylvania-Ohio border. Now, while there's been much attention paid to the potential long-term health and environmental impacts since that happened, many business owners in East Palestine, Ohio, have struggled over the same period. Oliver Morrison from our friends at WESA in Pittsburgh checks in to see how they're faring a year later. Dawn and Diana Elzer own greenhouses on the outskirts of East Palestine. The week of the derailment, they have been running commercials about plants they had on sale for Valentine's Day. Here's Dawn. There's 13 greenhouses here and you can't tell from where we're standing, but they go way down over the hill. So we've got lots of variety 
Um, in the springtime, we'd probably got more hanging baskets than anybody in the area. But after the derailment, business suffered. I think we had two customers on Valentine's Day. Some people bought plants to support the business, but overall, he said business is down 20%. And it's not just plants that aren't selling. They also own a hot dog and ice cream shop in town. Here's Diana. Our evening traffic, which especially during the summer was where you know, we made our money, was virtually nil. The perception of contamination outside the town, Don says, has become a problem. Our manufacturing sector, I think, is doing very well, but that doesn't rely on people coming to town. So they're, they're doing fine. Uh, it's more the, more the retail that's having a problem. Business has been better for Steve Teleshack, who owns the McDonald's in town. He sells Big Macs right next door to the local operations headquarters for Norfolk Southern. 200 to 300 workers and contractors are involved in the cleanup near the derailment site. They're in here every day, so I, that helps out a lot. So we'll see what happens when they stop coming. Earlier this month, Norfolk Southern began to fill with dirt the holes made by the removal of thousands of truckloads of contaminated soil. It's an early reminder that many of the cleanup workers who've helped some businesses stay profitable will soon leave town. And at this point, it's unclear if or when old customers will return. Michelle Cope cuts hair at Skills Salon, a stone's throw from the major contamination sites in East Palestine. She went back to work as soon as the evacuation order ended and says her salon didn't have any noticeable contamination. Still, 40 of her regular customers never came back. That's a lot of people to lose in, in a year. On a recent Friday morning, Cope was cutting the hair of lifelong resident Joe Helpy. He said Norfolk has promised to reimburse his wife for her lost tips. She's a waitress at the original Roadhouse, one of only a handful of dining restaurants in the village. The restaurant is right next to a stream that underwent months of environmental remediation. Helpy says the people who used to drive into East Palestine and spend money at the roadhouse have been replaced by interlopers. There was two ladies taking a selfie down by the East Palestine sign in town. And I said, here, let me do it for you. They said, oh, we just want a picture of the toxic town. Obviously, I walk this town every day and buy food here every day. It's not toxic. Not every business has survived the derailment. Maggie Guglielmo sold silicone wristbands from a shop down the street from the derailment site. She says the people who initially tested the air quality in her building wrote on their report that it smelled so bad they had to leave after just 10 minutes. All of those hundreds of thousands of gallons of, of toxic chemicals plus water from the night of the fire, um, and it just totally contaminated my shop. Um, the wristbands just sucked in all of that toxic fumes. My place stunk for four months until I got rid of everything. Guglielmo lost a quarter of a million wristbands. She didn't know whether insurance would cover the loss, and she didn't have enough money to buy new inventory on her own. Ultimately, Guglielmo decided to sell her business. Her lawyer has filed a claim with Norfolk Southern to compensate her for the loss. You can't put a price on emotional loss. Chad Edwards was hired to be the new village manager of East Palestine in October. I'll have a Reuben and fries. Okay. And some tartar sauce with my fries, please. Tartar sauce? Okay. He says he wants to help businesses by turning around the perception of the town as toxic. People won't move to a place where they don't think they can drink the water, he says. And he thinks a big part of that will be changing how the town is portrayed. I don't think that the media has been particularly fair to East Palestine. To that end, Norfolk Southern is footing the bill for a $1 million marketing campaign for the town. We're going to have a newsletter. We're revamping the website. We're going to be revamping our social media presence. It's not just image crafting. One of the town's biggest hopes right now, Edwards says, are direct investments from the train company itself. Norfolk Southern has committed $25 million to refurbish the city's park, 
It's by far the company's biggest single gift to the town and will include a new pool, a new amphitheater, pickleball courts, and three new playgrounds. Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw says during one of his first trips to the town after the derailment, town leaders stressed to him that the park draws people into town. So I went back to my team and I said, all right, this, this is something that's important to the community and investments in this park will add to the economic vibrancy of the community over the long term, which is what we're looking to do. Jamie Wallace moved her family out of town after the derailment because her house was so close to the main contamination site. And she became one of the loudest voices in town, pushing Norfolk Southern and the government to do more to protect residents' health. So far, Norfolk Southern hasn't clarified how it might support residents' potential long-term health care needs. Wallace worries that all of Norfolk Southern's money has placated some business owners when it comes to other concerns like residents' health. If you look at some of the interviews of these business owners that they did early on, their opinions uh, change very drastically um, in a very short period of time. You don't change your core values that quickly uh, unless there's some kind of of benefit. The business owners are struggling to find a way to get the message out that it's safe for business when some of its loudest residents still don't believe it is. I'm Oliver Morrison in East Palestine. Just want to remind you that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts on WITF's YouTube channel, and you can also check it out on the NPR One app. And Go to Spotify and check out our Spotify playlist each month for The Morning Agenda. They're creatively titled The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, Month, Year. So this month's, say it with me, The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, January 2024 is the name of that playlist. And you will find my song of the day today. It is Rick James and Super Freak. And that is going to do it for The Morning Agenda. Now that I've given you that earworm, that baseline, you're going to be hearing all day long. The Morning Agenda is a daily news podcast from WITF, where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Feel free to reach out to me on Blue Sky or Twitter. I'm at TLambert895. Or email me any thoughts, concerns, questions, suggestions on how to make The Morning Agenda a little bit better. I'm at Tim underscore Lambert at WITF.org. That's Tim underscore Lambert at WITF.org. And if you're interested in a Morning Agenda trucker hat, reach out to me too, and maybe I can find a way to get one into your hands. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always appreciated and never, ever, ever, ever taken for granted. Never forget that. Be well, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will talk again tomorrow.